All right, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access and one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, make us. For your Son's sake, amen. Amen. Well, on March 19th, 1893, a powerful and unlikely scene occurred at the Metropolitan Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. John W.D. Maupin, the son of a former Confederate soldier in the Civil War, was baptized by Pastor Clay Smith, the former Brevet Major General for the Union. So picture this. A father who was a former Confederate soldier sitting in the congregation with tears of joy in his eyes, watching his son be baptized by a man who was his enemy years before. How could this be? Well, according to Maupin's father, it was unity in Christ that triumphed over the sectional differences of the past. Could you imagine the reconciliation that took place? And what, what a powerful picture of the gospel that was presented to the church that morning as men who once stood on opposite sides found common ground in the blood of Christ. And that's what we see in our passage this morning. That through the blood of Jesus, those who were once far off 
have been brought near, near to God and near to one another. Our unity in Christ surpasses every earthly division. Jesus has brought peace between God and man and between man and man. Ephesians chapter 2 is all about the gospel. Remember, Paul began this letter with that long run-on sentence, praising God for all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And then, then he was moved to pray that we would know God better, that, that we would know the hope of our calling, the riches of God's inheritance, and the greatness of God's power that is at work within us, that same power that raised Christ from the dead. And then if you remember last week, we were reminded of who we were before believing in Jesus. Paul presented our condition as helpless, dead in our sins and trespasses, walking in disobedience to God, following the world, the flesh, and the devil, and by nature, children of wrath. But then he reminded us of the grace of God. But God, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, because of the riches of his mercy and his great love, he has made us alive. And he has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him. He has brought us from spiritual death to spiritual life. By grace, we have been saved. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And then Paul explained who we are now in Christ. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to walk in the good works that he has prepared for us. And our passage this morning has the same structure as we saw last week. In verses 11 to 12, Paul reminds the Gentile believers of their hopelessness in the past, who they were. In verses 13 to 18, he reminds them of what God has done. And in verses 19 to 22, he reminds them of who they are now in Christ. And so the structure of this sermon is exactly what it was last week. Who we were, what God has done, and who we are now. And each point is marked out by a phrase. You can see them in verse 11, at one time, in verse 13, but now, and in verse 19, so then who we were, what God has done, and who we are now. And the main point of the sermon this morning is this. Remember. Remember Christ's blood has brought us near to God and to one another. Remember Christ's blood has brought us near to God and to one another. All right, so let's first think about who we were. Look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh. Paul uses that word remember twice here in verses 11 and verse 12. 
We need to remember. And he says, remember, at one time, you Gentiles, the people that made up the church at Ephesus were mainly Gentile believers. And we, most of us here, if not all of us, sitting here this morning are Gentiles. And so we need to listen up. This word is not only for the Ephesian Christians, but it's also for us as well. And we need to remember who we were. Until we remember who we were, we will never truly appreciate what God has done for us by his grace in Christ. If you want to have a better appreciation for what God has done, you need to have a better understanding of who you were. It never helps to downplay what we were without Jesus. And, and God constantly urges his people to remember all throughout the Bible when he's trying to get his people to remember the riches of his grace that he has showered upon them. He tells them to remember what they once were. You hear him say things, remember where you were brought from or remember the land where you once lived. In Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 15, God says, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this today. It's very important to God that we remember. And that's what Paul is trying to help these Ephesian Christians to understand. He begins this chapter with, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. It wasn't that you had just lost your way and you needed to be put back on track, but you were dead and needed to be resurrected. And God, by his grace, made you alive. And here in verses 11 and 12, he says, remember, and he brings up two types of alienation that these Gentile Christians experienced. And the first was social alienation. Paul says that the Gentiles were called the uncircumcision. This was a derogatory term because the Gentiles didn't have that physical mark of circumcision to set them apart as God's people. Many of the Jews in their pride and their arrogance looked down upon them. But notice Paul gives that little description about circumcision. And he says, which is made in the flesh by hands. What Paul is saying here is that circumcision is nothing. It's man-made if there is no faith. What mattered more than the physical circumcision was the circumcision of the heart. And it is through faith in Christ that makes someone forgiven and a partaker of all the blessings of the covenant of grace. And so there was this social alienation. Jews and Gentiles didn't get along. And then more importantly, the Gentiles experienced spiritual alienation. And Paul gives us five descriptions of what they once were. In, in verse 12, you could see he says, you were at that time separated from Christ, 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's who they were. That's who we were. Separated from Christ. They didn't have the hope in the coming Messiah. They didn't have the hope in the promises and the prophecies and the shadows and types that were given to the Jews. They had no hope in a redeemer. They were separated from Christ like we were at one time. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. God had chosen Israel to be his people. And he gave them his blessing. And he gave them his protection and his love. And the Gentiles did not have a place in the people of God. They were alienated. Paul also says that they were strangers to the covenants of promise. God had made these covenants with Abraham and with Moses and David and all of them included the promise of redemption and salvation. They, they pointed forward to that day when Jesus would come and he would pay for sin through his death and inaugurate this, this new covenant, this covenant of grace. But the Gentiles were strangers to these covenants. When they looked up in the sky and they saw a rainbow, they didn't know that God had promised never to destroy the earth again, that he had promised to send a redeemer. They didn't know these things. They were strangers to the covenants of promise. And they also had no hope. They were hopeless. They were without true Christian hope, knowing the forgiveness of sins, knowing the promise of eternal life. How could they have hope when they had nothing to look forward to? Just this last week, I, I saw that Shaquille O'Neal gave Jason Kelsey, who was a, a pro football player, some retirement advice. And this is what Shaq said. Enjoy your family, brother. I lost my family, and I didn't have anybody. I'm in a 100,000 square foot house by myself. That's a guy who has millions of dollars. He's famous. Someone who we never would have thought to be hopeless. And yet that is a very hopeless statement. And without Christ, we have no hope. You can have everything in this world. You can have money and pleasure, the best job. You can have fame and yet be completely hopeless. For the Christians in the room, do you remember that time when you had no hope? I do. I was so hopeless I wanted to take my own life. I thought I had nothing to live for. That's who we were. And lastly, they were without God in the world. We were made in the image of God. And the purpose for which God made us was so that we might glorify him and enjoy him forever. 
But the Gentiles were apart from God. They trusted in many false gods, but they did not have the one true God. God is the source of every good thing. And so if we are without God, we are without everything. This is who we all once were. We need to remember that we were Christless, we were strangers, without hope, and without God in this world. It's good for us to remember who we were without Christ because we often forget the amazing grace that God has shown sinners like us. That's what Paul is doing here. He wants these Ephesians to see the miracle of grace that has happened in their lives. We often only consider the the crazy, radical testimonies as miracles, right? The, The gang member who gets saved in prison or the rock star that spirals down and then God saves him. And we, we look at that and we go, wow, it took a miracle to save him. And yet what we have forgotten is that there is not one of us here this morning who has been saved by God's grace who is not a miracle. We have been resurrected from spiritual death. We were separated from Christ in a place with no hope. And in verse 13, Paul tells us that we who were once far off have been brought near. We've seen who we were. Now we will see what God has done The the turning point in the passage that we looked at last week in verses 1 to 10 was that conjunction in verse 4, right? But God, and we have another one here in verse 13, but now, at that time you were separated, alienated, strangers, look at verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We just sang the song, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The only thing that can give us peace that our sins have been forgiven is the blood of of Jesus. And yet Paul is saying here that the blood of Jesus does something beyond just forgiving our sins. We who were once far off spiritually have been brought near. Sin has separated us from God and separated us from each other. And yet God has reconciled us. We were far off. We were enemies of God. And yet he has done everything in order to bring us near. This is why the message of Jesus is called the gospel. Because it's good news. Through the blood of Jesus, our sins have been 
atoned for. When Jesus was on the cross, the wrath of God was placed on him so that we would not experience it. His blood was shed so that we could draw near. Jesus was sent far off in order for us to be brought near. Brought near to the God who made us and to the God who loves us. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. He is our mediator. You are not only forgiven, but you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. And so this morning, if you're not trusting in Jesus, then verse 12 describes who you are. Separated from Christ, hopeless and without God in this world. And yet there is good news. There is hope. Turn from your sin and run to the one whose blood was shed for all of those who trust in him. Believe in Jesus. He is the only way of salvation. And he is the only one who can reconcile us to God. And this reconciliation is not only vertical, it's also horizontal. In reconciling us to God, Jesus has reconciled all believers to one another. You know, we we live in a world that is full of hatred and hostility. And if you don't believe me, just turn on the news. By nature, we have hatred toward one another. And in Paul's day, there was no greater example of this than the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Paul tells us in this passage that God healed that division by the blood of Jesus. Look at verse 14. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one, Jews and Gentiles, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace. In the temple, there there actually was this physical dividing wall that divided the court of the Gentiles with the court of the Jews. And there was a sign posted outside the wall which warned the Gentiles, and it said this, No outsider shall enter the protective enclosure around the sanctuary, and whoever is caught will only have himself to blame for the ensuing death. There was this dividing wall between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews. And then there was another division in the temple, and it was the veil that separated the most holy place where God dwelt with the rest of the temple. And what this veil said is that none of you can enter. 
So there was this division between Jew and Gentile, and then there was this division between God and man. And the cause of both of these divisions is sin. Sin separates us from God, and it separates us from one another. And what happened is that the Jewish people, in their pride, thought that they were better. Even though God had chosen them and set them apart in order that he might bless the world through them, they were told to be the light to the Gentiles. They failed in this. And they treated the Gentiles poorly. And then the Gentiles in turn hated the Jews. And so there was this dividing wall of hostility between them, not just in the temple, but in their own hearts. And Paul says that when Christ hung on the cross, he broke down these divisions. The only solution for the divisions among men is the removal of sin, which Jesus accomplished by shedding his blood on the cross. Jesus has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And so those who were once far off have been given full membership among the people of God. Now, there's a lot of bad theology out there. And some people will say that the Jewish people have privileges that you don't have. And that's not true. Paul says that Jesus broke down the dividing wall, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. He has made a new Israel of God that consists of both believing Gentiles and believing Jews in Jesus. And so God takes the two and he makes one new man from Jew and Gentile to one in Christ. And so the new person in Christ is not simply a Jew or Gentile who happens to be a Christian. But what Paul is getting at here is that he or she is no longer a Jew or Gentile, but a Christian. He destroys the hostility and he makes people who hated each other to love each other. And look at verse 15. It says, He broke down the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And so those laws, those dietary laws and the ceremonial laws that kept Israel distinct from all the other nations, that's been abolished because it's been fulfilled in Jesus. So circumcision no longer matters. And all those dietary restrictions no longer apply. And all God's people said, praise the Lord, we can eat bacon. <laughs> God destroys the hostility. He makes the two people who hated each other love each other. Paul says, so making peace. We all want peace, right? Yeah, the only thing that can bring True peace is the cross of Jesus Christ. Peace with God and peace with others. True peace is only found in Jesus. Paul says here, he himself is our 
peace. This is what God accomplished through the death of Jesus. And so the local church should be the place where this reconciliation is on display from all those who trust in him. And so people of different ethnicities and Bears fans and Packers fans, boo, people of different classes, if they are in Christ, they are our brothers and sisters, and we should be united and not divided. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to see eye to eye with every Christian on all the matters. But regardless of our differences of opinions, the unity that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ is stronger than what we have with anyone else in the world. And so shame on us for allowing things like personal tastes or selfish ambition and personal conflict divide us. When Jesus shed his blood in order to tear down that dividing wall. There's no reason to feel superior over others because everyone was saved on the same basis. We were dead and God made us alive. We were separated. We were far off and only brought near because of the blood of Jesus. And then Paul writes in verse 17, and he, Jesus, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who are near. Now, when did Jesus go to Ephesus? Because that's what it seems to be saying here. Jesus came and preached peace to you who were far off. When did Jesus go to Ephesus? Never at least not physically. But he did preach peace to those who were far off through Paul, through the preaching of the gospel. And that means what I am doing today and what other ministers of the gospel are doing this morning all over the world is proclaiming that Christ has made peace and he calls you to know that peace. You can be at peace with God and with others if you believe in Jesus. The Gentiles were far off and the Jews were near, but Christ preached peace to both. Do you see that there? The Jews needed the gospel of peace just as much as the Gentiles. And what that says to us, it's a, it's a good reminder that gospel privilege doesn't exempt us from needing salvation in Jesus. And so you cannot rely on your parents or your grandparents' salvation. And just because you grew up in the church doesn't mean that you are saved. You need to believe in Jesus. And Paul says in verse 18, for through him, for th through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. There has only ever been one way of salvation. Paul says, for through him, we both, speaking to Jews and Gentiles. How are Jews saved? Through faith in Jesus Christ. How are Gentiles saved? 
through faith in Jesus Christ. Does God have two different groups of people? Does he have two different plans of salvation? No. It has only ever been that Christ would come and that he would atone for the sins of his people and save them. And he has done that. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus has made peace between us and the Father. We were once children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but through Christ we now have access in one spirit to the Father. So we've been brought near by the blood of Jesus. We've been reconciled to God and to one another. Jesus has broken down that dividing wall and he has brought peace and access to God. This is what God has done. We've seen who we were, what God has done, and lastly, who we are now. Look at verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We are no longer what we once were. There are three things that Paul emphasizes that we are all now in Christ. And these things have to do with the church. Look at verse 19 again. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints. In Christ, we have become citizens in the kingdom of God. All Christians have dual citizenship. They're citizens of the country that they were born in and citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, I love being a citizen of this country. We have many freedoms that people in other places do not. It is a good place to live. It's a privilege to be a citizen of the United States. But it's nothing in comparison to the privilege that we have being fellow citizens with the saints. Citizens in the kingdom of God that will never end. Friends, one day the United States will end. It will be no more. And yet if you are in Christ, you are a citizen of a kingdom that will last forever and ever and we're not second-rate citizens, but fellow citizens, along with all those other Christians who have believed in Jesus. And not only are we fellow citizens of the kingdom of God, but by grace we are also members of God's family, members of his household. We are adopted sons and daughters, and as Paul said earlier, predestined for adoption as sons. The point here is that the church is a family. I can't remember who, who said it, but someone said, uh, we've been brought out of the courtroom where we were justified by faith in Christ and brought into God's living room as his adopted sons and daughters. 
We've been adopted and granted all the rights and privileges and responsibilities of God's children. We're not second-rate citizens. We're not second-rate children, but members of the household of God. And then Paul gives one more illustration. We have a citizenship. We have, we're a part of a family. And then he also says that we are a part of a building. In the Old Testament, the temple was the special place where God dwelt. And now there is a new temple that is being created. And it's not made of bricks or steel or wood or concrete, but it's made of people. Verse 22, Paul writes that we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In 1 Peter, he says that we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. Friends, this building is not the church. We are the church. We are the people of God. We are the temple of God, living stones in God's temple. And as the Lord, by his grace, saves sinners, they are added stone by stone into this temple. Question, do you, do you think about yourself and those around you in that way? That we are living stones in the temple of God? I think the way that we view one another and treat one another might change if we think that way. And Paul says that this building is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. John Calvin said, Christ is the foundation on which the church is built by the preaching of doctrine. The church is not built on modern ideas or musical styles or cultural trends or business models or having many programs but built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, built on the foundation that they laid. It's built on sound doctrine, sound doctrine that's about Jesus, who is the chief cornerstone. Cornerstone is the stone to which every other stone must be aligned to. And without Christ, the church comes crumbling down. And so if you're looking for a church or if you're helping someone look for a church, don't look at the things that we don't see in God's word. What we need to ask is, is Christ being proclaimed? Is Jesus being glorified in that church? Because he is the foundation. And as we as believers are mortared together on that foundation, being joined together, growing in the holy temple of the Lord, Paul says that we're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And that's amazing. Remember when we talked about the, 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 the veil? And, and God, the, the most holy place, the place where God dwelt, being separated from all the people? Now God has made us the temple, is making us the temple. 
He's chosen to dwell in us collectively by the Spirit. To be the place where he dwells. Those of us who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Think about how near we have been brought to become the place where God dwells by his spirit. Eric Alexander said this, the church's great calling and function is to be a place where God delights to make his dwelling and to manifest his glory and to reveal himself in all his beauty so that men may be drawn to him. That's what the church is for. What a privilege to be a part of the church. Think about who we are in Christ. We are brought near, we're reconciled, united with fellow believers, fellow citizens with the saints, members of God's family, and being built into the temple of God. And so as we conclude this morning, here are a few suggestions for application. The first one is to remember. Remember who you were. Remember what God has done. And remember who you are now in Christ. And rejoice. Give thanks to God for all the blessings that he has given us in Christ. And we should also be focused on being unified in the church and to fight against all types of division. There's no room for pride or jealousy or gossiping. There is no room for racism. Jesus is the savior of the world. He is redeeming people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so diversity in the church is a good thing. It's a picture of what heaven will be like. And we must work hard not to contradict the gospel and how we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ has broken down that dividing wall of hostility. And so we must work hard to display the unity that Jesus has secured. May God give us patience with one another and a greater love for one another. And lastly, we should see the beauty of the church. That we are fellow citizens with one another, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, members of God's household, and that we are being built into a place where God dwells. May we attach ourselves to the strong foundation of sound doctrine and cling to Jesus the chief cornerstone. We have been blessed greatly in Christ. Remember, Christ's blood has brought us near to God and to one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel that takes sinful outsiders and reconciles them to yourself and to one another. 
We're thankful for the gospel that adopts us into your family and brings us into your kingdom and your church. Lord, help us to remember who we once were in order that we grow in our appreciation for what you have done. We thank you that Jesus went to the cross and took our sin upon himself and that through his blood we have been reconciled to you and to one another. And we pray that if anyone is here who has not been reconciled, that today would be the day of reconciliation and peace and hope. We pray for those who have forgotten about the peace that you have given them. Remind and renew in us a spiritual sight of all these things. Remove any divisions that may exist between us. Help us to love and care for our brothers and sisters whom we've been reconciled to by the blood of Jesus. And help us to treasure the church, to serve the church for the glory of the king who bought and paid for her with his own blood. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.